preach our opinions, and then we go find scriptures to back up our opinions. And those can be entertaining and enjoyable sermons and have a benefit that bring earthly wisdom. But when we take passages and we say, Holy Spirit, you speak to us, you pull out truths, you show us things, I believe in the long term that will make us stronger Christians and help us to understand God better. Because truly that's why uh, we're in the faith. That's why we are in our walk with Christ. That's why we are Christians, because the quest of our walk is to know God better to know him better and to make him known. And you can't make known something you don't know yourself. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter, and we're going to look at it from a practical standpoint, uh, just to put you at ease. I'm not going to you know, talk to you a, a lot of the historical setting and things like that. And the good reason why is because, honestly, the commentaries, they don't know where Peter wrote this and when and exactly. It's just kind of a theory. We know Peter the Apostle did write this, and so... Uh, we know a lot about his personality uh, through reading the Gospels, and he's a man after my own heart because you know Peter tend to speak before he thought. So uh, I like Peter uh, because it gives me hope that God can still use me sometimes. Uh, like I'm still wondering about that whole folding the burrito children's ministry thing. Yeah, that, see, Beth, Beth gave me that look like you should not have brought that up. Uh, but thank you, cafe workers. Thank you, cafe workers. And that is true. Uh, you know, that is a cool thing about the church at Indian Lake. I mean, if you're running late for church and don't have time to, to you know, make your waffle or, or open your Pop-Tart, I mean, we don't just have donuts. We have biscuits and gravy and eggs and omelets and souffles and I don't know what all is back there. Yeah, I don't know what that means either. Everybody said... <laughs> Everybody look, souffle, I don't know, just kind of rolled off the tongue. See, the notes, the notes are important. That's, I told you, you want me to stay in the notes. So, thank you, cafe workers. Thank you. And sincerity. Yes. Let's get to the word, right? <laughs> get to the word. Oh, wow. Uh, Yesterday, I will say this before we start, last night, I've been so busy, I haven't been able to do this. I talked with Dr. Charles Galden, who was the interim speaker here for several months and down at Southeastern University, and he sends his greetings to everyone, and we've he'll be coming in a few weeks to share the word with us and to reconnect, so that was a blessing to get to speak with him last night. Uh, I want us to look at a couple of scriptures before we get into today's uh, message. And the reason why we call this message chosen, First uh, Peter has several scriptures. First Peter 2.4 says this, and if we can go ahead, we'll read this together. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Later on in the series, we're going to focus on that particular scripture. But I love that scripture. We're rejected by men but chosen by God. Is that not a wonderful thought? And to me, if there's one verse that kind of summarizes what 1 Peter is about, it's that we might be rejected by men, but we've been chosen by God as a, and we are precious to Him. Verse 6 stays with the same theme, but this time it's talking specifically about Christ the Messiah. And Scripture says, it quotes the Old Testament, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. He's talking about Jesus there, Peter is. The one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. So he's chosen us, 
Then he chose Jesus as the cornerstone. And then I love this, and this applies to us as a church. And this is verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, or His wonderful light. Go back to that verse 8 there. You are a cho- or verse 9. You are a chosen people. And, and I want us, as we look through 1 Peter, to, to realize how God has picked us out. And He's chosen us as individuals, and He's chosen us as a church, and He's chosen us as a people. And regardless of what your theology is on predestination and free will and all that, we can all agree that every single person in this room is chosen. Every single person. In fact, the, the very fact that you're hearing me speak right now, and you've heard these songs that were sung today, means you've been chosen. God has created the atmosphere of your life that you would know Christ. You would know His way. That you could be part of this chosen people. And we'll discover in First Peter that when you're chosen, there's responsibilities that come upon us when you're chosen. And that's a, that's a good thing. All of us love to be chosen. There's no doubt about that. I was, I was reflecting on this and, and thinking about different times I was chosen for stuff. And, and I remember visiting, as a child, uh, another church's VBS. And I was maybe seven years old, something like that. And it was a church I'd never been at. And uh, we were playing in the playground and doing, and doing the different activities that you do in VBS. I mean, no, VBS can change people's lives, right? It can. Shameless plug. Register for VBS this June. Go to IndianLakeChurch.com. There's a place to register your kids and register yourself as a leader. But we were interacting and we were playing and, and all the kids at that church knew each other and, and knew, knew the teachers. And, and we came back to the large gathering and they gave the special award, like the best uh, spirit of the day award or something like that. And, and the, the lady said, I've been watching this boy all day and He's new to our church, and she called me up and gave me this certificate. Now, I don't know where that certificate is. I don't even know if it made it to the car that afternoon. You know how that goes. Uh, man, I, we, are, we have three children, and we have papers like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they send home a book every day of papers and stacks and all that. But I, I remember that. I remember being chosen out of those group of kids. And, and, and we can all start reflecting and thinking about a time we were chosen for an honor or for a special recognition or, or even as children on the playground getting picked for the team. There's just something about being chosen. There's also something about being chosen last. That used to happen to me a lot in baseball because I can't hit a baseball. So I'm not into the church softball thing. I could support you guys. I can't hit. I was always chosen. So we don't like to be chosen last. But there's something special and unique about being chosen. And what I want us to realize today, today my message is called Invaluable. Invaluable because... We want to realize that there's things about our faith in Christ. There are things about our walk with Christ that literally don't have value to them. They are invaluable. You cannot put a price tag. You cannot put a monetary value. You cannot give enough money, accumulate enough property. You cannot acquire enough wealth to put the kind of value on what Christ has done in us and for us. And I want, at the end of our talk today, I want you to leave this place highly valuing Christ and what He's done in your life. To not take for granted, to not become familiar, to not uh, you know, just, just let the 
familiarity of your faith let be just another thing on your list. But to realize there's great value. Let's start off in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is verse 1 if you have your Bibles. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen. There's, there's that word again. Huh? Been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. You see, we're chosen for obedience. We're chosen for obedience. Grace and peace to you in abundance. Praise be to the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth. I'm in verse 3, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now look at verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Go back to verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Here's the first observation. I want you to write it down if you're taking notes. We have an invaluable inheritance. One of the realizations that you're chosen is that you're not just chosen randomly and you're not just chosen without purpose. You're chosen because when you're chosen by God, you have access to an inheritance from Him. Now, to the, those who received this letter, the Jewish people and, and even the people of that time, you know, inheritance was always land. That, that was usually, you know, they didn't give a lot of value to numbers like we do. Is it, it's really amazing that, like, you can give people a set of numbers, your credit card, and you can get what you want now. And there's, we're not under a gold standard, and, and our money's not backed up anymore by gold, and we don't have really any security uh, uh, to pledge ourselves with, but we got numbers. These 12 numbers mean I can get what I want. But an inheritance wasn't just numbers in a bank account. Many times it was land. It was something that could pass on to the next generation. And for the Jewish mind, it was obvious what the inheritance was. The inheritance was a promised land. The land God had chosen said, this is where my people are going to dwell. This, These are the borders. This is the land. This is the holy city. My people will dwell there, and you will go and get your inheritance. Now, you know from studying Scripture, those of you who have done that, from the time of Moses until currently today in 2008, that inheritance for the Jewish people has not been obtained easily. It has been fought and talk about hundreds of years of setback when they didn't even possess that land. And they, they had an inheritance. That land and inheritance was spoiled. It was spoiled, it was spoiled by other nations and other people and uh, by the, the scattering of the Jewish people around the world. And so when he's writing here, he doesn't really say exactly what the inheritance is. But he says, I have a different inheritance, different from the one you're thinking, in verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's not going to happen. This inheritance is in heaven. 
can I, can I just give you just a word of wisdom about just earthly inheritances? Do not count your earthly inheritance before you get it. I'm talking about if you have a mother, father, aunt, uncle, brother, sister that's supposed to leave you some money. I have seen, in you know, just a short time of being in the ministry in the last 12 years, I have seen so many painful things happen in families because people counted their inheritance before they got it. And they fight and they get bitter. I was in another city working with a man that didn't feel like he got the type of inheritance that he was expecting from his brothers and sisters. And as his pastor, I knew the details of this and no one else did. And I watched that man become more and more bitter, even in his countenance. Not when he talked about the subject, but in every single thing he did. He, he, was, he, he walked in church bitter. He acted bitter. That sense of injustice that he felt that he didn't get his earthly inheritance ate him alive on the inside. And, and it's true. When you begin to divide up estates and divide up what people are going to get, you see the ugly side of things come, come through. And, and I just want to, as a word of wisdom, can I just tell you your relationships with your family is not worth the hassle because God is a God of justice and he'll pay you back what you deserve. And so many people have got bitter and hurt over that. On the other hand, I'll tell you a little bit about another story about that inheritance like that. My grandparents were just godly, wonderful people. And they used to take care of this widow lady. And usually I don't give people's real names, but I can give her real name because she didn't have, never had been married, never had kids, had no family at all. All her sisters, parents' sisters had died. Her name was Miss Emma. And my grandparents are godly people who took care of her and bought her groceries and and one year, Miss Emma's lawyer told them, they said, Mr. and Mrs. Allison, you have been remembered generously in the will. So for the next decade, we wondered what generously meant, especially the grandkids. And this lady had hundreds and thousands of dollars. And when she finally passed, the will came, and they only got like two or three thousand dollars. And I was disappointed, man. I was like, man, oh! I mean, I had all kind. I mean, I had a four wheeler, uh, a four wheeler in mind. I had a private college in mind. I had all kinds of things in mind. Uh, but you know what? My grandparents, they handled that with such spiritual maturity. You know why? Because they knew where their inheritance was. It was somewhere that can't perish. It was an inheritance that can't spoil. It was an inheritance that can't fade away. Hidden in heaven. Hidden in heaven. Kept in heaven for you. Isn't that a better inheritance for us to trust in? Isn't that a better way for us to live our lives? And, but the truth is this. If we're real honest, we want our inheritance today. Yeah, I know, I know. I know God has prepared a place for us and all that, but I'd like some of that today. I'd like that now. We, we would like to figure out a way to manipulate God where God has to give us our inheritance now. So 
what we do is we manipulate our theology and we start chanting things and have unorthodox translations of scriptures trying to get God to give us our inheritance today. Can I tell you that's just a sign that our hearts are in the wrong place? Can I tell you that He's kept an inheritance for us in heaven? And you know what? It can't spoil, it can't fade, it can't perish. You know the stock market can't touch His inheritance. The housing crisis can't touch His inheritance. The bank accounts diminishing can't not affect His inheritance. It's in heaven with Him. And when you are chosen by Him, And when you've been chosen by Him, then your heart is connected to a different place. You realize that He has something in store for me that's greater than money and it's greater than land. And for the writers of this, they were saying, yeah, there's an inheritance that's not just the land that you've tried to obtain and you have tried to get and you have worked and worked and and tried to get that. There's more of an inheritance. There's an inheritance in heaven that won't fade or spoil or perish. I love what Psalm 16:5 says. It says this in the New King James Version, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. What a great prayer to pray. Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance. You're what I want. Psalm 73:26 says this, my flesh and my heart fail But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even when our our strength fails, even when our health seems to be failing, you know, God is our portion. He's our inheritance. He is where our our value is. Psalms 142.5, I love this. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Psalms 142, verse 5. See, All of the different tribes of Israel had a certain inheritance. God said, this is your territory. This is where you're going to go. This is the land you're going to possess. This is the part of the promised land. This is the part of the inheritance. All except the Levites, the sons of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother, and God said, that line are going to be a special line. They're not going to own land. They're not going to own property. Remember, that was the earthly value. That was the earthly inheritance. But the, the line of Aaron, the Levites, were never going to own property. They were just going to live off the tithe of the people. They were the ones who conducted worship. They're the ones who uh, um, took the sacrifices. And when people would make, give their tithes and their offerings, the priests and the Levites would live off of those. They were responsible for that. And that, that's, again, why we say that you bring the tithe to the house of the Lord. You know, you, you, honestly... I don't want to step on toes here, but you don't tithe to the Red Cross. And you don't tithe to your, to, to your sick aunt in Oregon or anything like that. You tithe to God's house, and then the Levite, the, the priests are responsible for that tithe, and that's where, where they run off. And God was given all these instruction, instructions in Numbers 18. And He was telling them in Numbers 18, He was saying, This is the way it's going to be. You're not going to own land. You're not going to own land. You're going to take care of the people and live off that. And in verse 20, the Lord said to Aaron, and this is a beautiful thing, this is a beautiful verse, you will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. Now listen to this part. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. 
You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. What is this inheritance kept in heaven that won't fade or spoil or never be corrupted? Can I ask you, is the presence of God enough of an inheritance for us? Could we really accept what God told to Aaron? You're not going to have the earthly possessions everyone else is. You're not going to have what everyone else has. But I will be your inheritance. I will be your portion. I will be the one that takes care of you. Psalm 16, verse 5. I love this. Oh Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And surely I have a delightful inheritance. God, you're the one. You're the one that gives that to me. I am personally trying to get to a place spiritually, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not there yet. I'm not. I wish I was. But here's one of my goals. That I can truly say with my life and with my conduct and everything within me, Lord, you are enough. You're enough, God. You know, and I sing songs that say that sometimes, and that's good. I don't feel hypocritical because I'm trying to declare who I want to be. You're enough, Lord. You're all I need, Jesus. That's a lifelong quest because we want that earthly inheritance. We want that land. We want those things now. And I love, you know, where the contentment that comes when we walk with Lord, with the Lord. When Psalm 16:6 says, "The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places." Surely I have a delightful inheritance, Lord. Can I tell you that that delight is Him? That delight is Him. That's His presence. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Let's start in verse 14. Talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit, if you read that whole scripture in Ephesians 1, the Holy Spirit is our deposit that guarantees our inheritance, that guarantees that we're going to be in heaven where our inheritance is, and that is the presence of God and where He is and the place He's going to be. So, I want us as believers to direct our hearts, to direct our hearts towards heaven, to direct our hearts towards Him, because where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. And if we're always looking for our earthly inheritance and saying, how much can I accumulate here? How much can I have here? And not have our hearts in heaven. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. You know, the Bible is full of wealthy people. The Bible is full of of people who are poor. But we are all rich in Christ. And I I believe in ambition. And I'm I'm not suggesting for a minute that you should be lazy uh, and not diligent and undiligent in your work. I mean, that just gets on my nerves and and is not really the will of God. But all I'm saying is this, is that our hearts are in heaven. Our hearts are with the Lord. Our inheritance is with Him. And maybe the fact that God wants you to make a bunch of money is because it's His plan for you to give a lot of money. huh? Maybe your income is just the number that's going to pass through for the hurting and for people who need Him. Look look at me with verse 7. Read on down. Well, let's, let's pick up back in four. We'll read to seven. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be received in, in the last time. Verse six. 
In this you greatly rejoice, for now a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now I'm in verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater value, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You can write it down, number two. Nothing is as valuable as our faith. You want to talk about things that are invaluable? We have an inheritance that's invaluable. That's the first thing. But the second thing is nothing is as valuable as our faith. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine. And I want to ask you this. is How much is your faith worth? You know, a phrase that you hear often is, everything has a price. Everything has a price. There's some kind of threshold that each person will reach where they'll say, yeah, you know, I didn't know they were going to offer me 50000 I didn't know they were going to offer me 100000 We broke a million. We broke $10 million. Start naming your number. Name your price. There's a threshold for you. And the question is, how much, how much or what could, what could cause you to abandon your faith? What price would there be? Is it maybe not a monetary price? Maybe it's a, another man or another woman that you get so infatuated with, you would walk away from your faith and walk away from what God's given you because you're infatuated with someone else that's not your spouse. Or maybe you're single and you're so infatuated with someone that doesn't love Jesus, that has no plan to serve God, you'd walk away from your faith. There's a price. You know, we all say, yeah, nothing is as valuable as God. You know, no one can buy my faith. We say that, but the enemy is buying our faith over and over again because we have a value that we set on our faith. And when that threshold is broken, we'll give in. You say, well, no one can buy my faith. What will you compromise at your job to get a promotion? My faith is invaluable. What shortcuts, what rules will you break in order to get that raise or to get that bonus. Everyone has a price. Can I tell you that when we realize from First Peter that we've been chosen by God, He has looked at us and said, You are mine. You are mine. I have bought you. I have paid the price for you. You belong to me. The value of that, when we realize that we're chosen by Him, the value of that should be so high in our minds that nothing can Purchase that. We'll never walk away. We'll never abandon what Jesus did for us. doesn't matter how much the money. It doesn't matter how alluring the job. It doesn't matter how seductive the relationship. Nothing will have us walk away from Him. Because our faith, in verse 7, is of greater worth than gold. It's invaluable. Our faith matters. And that's why the songwriter wrote years ago, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Him than riches untold. Because our faith has great value. We've been chosen. We've been set apart. We're His people. We can't take that lightly. We can't let the enemy come and try to purchase what God has already purchased. Because He's purchased us. And, and that's why I want us to look lastly at verse 18 of chapter 1. Go to 1 Peter, verse 18. 
Because I saw in chapter 1 our great value to God. He says this, For you know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The precious blood of Christ. You know, in our quest to get people saved, to get them to fill out cards, to get them to raise hands, we've made salvation like it's a right. You know, yeah, Jesus, you're so cool. You're so cool. You're so special to Jesus that he died on the cross for you. So raise your hand, fill out a card. And people almost feel entitled to their salvation. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so such a neat person. I'm so wonderfully made. Jesus died for me because he loves me. And we begin to devalue what he did on the cross. We devalue the sacrifice that he made. Can I read again the words that says this? You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold with which you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish artifact, our Jesus, the perfect one, he paid a high price for us. And yet, we devalue that. In fact, we live our lives in such a way that, that we, don't, we, we act like that wasn't even costly. It wasn't even a sacrifice. Look at verse 23. Look at verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. You have been born again... Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Here's the last point I wanted to make is this, if I haven't told you already, is three, our salvation is costly. Salvation is costly.